0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. So uh, as you can tell, I am not Brian Wilmarth. Um, Sorry about that. Um, My name's Jake Herring. I'm an elder here at New Life. I've been an elder here... For about ten months now, and it's been an awesome journey and an extreme honor, and I'm I'm so happy to be here, um, in this position, and also super excited to be with you here this morning preaching. Um, a little bit about the eldership. I, um, you know, I was asked to be an elder, and they go through a process, and I was a little intimidated. I admit by the other elders and their their knowledge of leadership and their knowledge of the Word of God and their knowledge of of everything that would go into leading a, a flock, and I really struggled, what, what is it that I could offer or give or contribute to this group of men? Um, and over the course of time, I realized um, that I'm unequivocally, by far and away, and I don't mean this out of arrogance or pride, but um, I'm the funniest of all the elders, <laughs> <laughs> undeniably. So, ooh, there's the back feet. So, um, anyway, this is a gift that I know now has been bestowed upon me to bring to this boring group of gentlemen. And um, so elder meetings, um, first of all, they put you in a room for an unreasonably long amount of time, three, four hours. The temperature hovers between a good 82, 86 degrees with a relative humidity of about 98 in the room, and you never get out early enough to eat ice cream, though they lure it in front of you like it'll happen someday. It never does. So as the guy who brings the humor and and the wit to the room, I I, I often distract myself and take a vacation uh, via those means while in these meetings, but um, I don't want to distract, and I know that it is serious business that we need to discuss in there, and just like at work, the elder meetings, I, I give myself pep talks before I go in, and I say, okay, you're going to stay on point. You're not going to joke around. You're going to be a good young man like your mom told you to be, and you're going to do good. So anyway, I was giving myself this pep talk a couple weeks back, and I'm, and I'm going into the elder meeting, but I, I roll up in my, in my car, and I park, and I get out, and, or I'm in the car, and I'm giving myself the pep talk. Okay, stay on point. I get out, and as you know, you walk into church or to the church offices, and they have the mint bowl. Um, so I'm the funniest elder. My other claim to fame is that I promise you, again, unequivocally, by far and away, I eat more church mints than any five of you combined. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> so I have a heckler. Um, so anyway, um, after I grabbed a couple of fistfuls of mints, I go, I sit down, I do my thing. And by the way, I, you know, I have had to up my tithe and offering just to offset Uh, You know, there's talk of a new capital campaign Just because of my mint consumption Um, But anyway, I I get inside And and if my humor or the things that I find funny Were to be made manifest Or to be personified It would be like, I'm in the meeting And this joke just kind of walks by And I'm like, oh, there it is (laughs) Something funny And anyway, I can't stay on point I go and I feel I need to introduce myself to this joke And he's tickling me in the funny bone And we're having a great time Anyway, it's so good that I think everybody ought to meet you, and blah, out it comes, and I've done it again. So anyway, I'll do my best to stay on point here today and not inflict you with this, but um, it's awesome to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, Having said said that, let's get into the book of Exodus. Okay, so we'll go ahead and we'll do a little bit of overview. So, um... I love maps, and I love geography, and oftentimes when I should be participating in Teams meetings, I have another screen with something like this up there. Um, but anyway, uh, so what you're seeing here is this is the land of Egypt. Up to the, body of, the body of water up north is the Mediterranean. Down to the southeast, that's the Red Sea. You're going to see these two arms coming off. The, the, uh, the bay to the east is the Bay of Aqaba. And the bay to the west is the Suez. Modern day, the Suez Canal flows out of the north of that bay into the Mediterranean. That wouldn't have been there during this time. And then you're going to see a green strip that comes down. That's the Nile River. And then you can see at the top of the Nile River, it kind of blooms out. It wouldn't have been that bloomed out now. That's because of irrigation that's happened over the course of time. So it wouldn't have looked quite like that. But the reason I'm showing you this is it puts it into context. And makes us, It takes what seems like... Almost mythology or folklore, meaning the story of of Exodus, this really happened, and it happened right here, okay? So just a point of reference, the red dot is current-day Cairo, Egypt, and the yellow dot all the way up to the north there, that's Jerusalem. So I do have opinions on where all this happened, but I promised Brian I won't get into it. I won't go down that rabbit trail. But somewhere probably around the red dot between there and the Mediterranean, or a little bit of all of that, uh, the, his, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Egyptians had enslaved uh, the Hebrews, and they were building cities to Pharaoh through this area. You like that? Does it put it into context a little bit? Okay, so we're going to be in chapters 5 and 6 today, but we'll do a bit of a recap, and I'm going to move quickly. So in chapter 1, um, is, we, we learn that Israel is slaves in Egypt, but their number is increasing because of that. Pharaoh is going to deal with them shrewdly, and because he's afraid that as their numbers increase, they may turn against him and partner up with one of, with one of Egypt's enemies and overrun them. He's scared. Um, and as a result, he mandates the killing of Hebrew baby boys. Chapter 2, Moses is born. and We learn about his story. He eventually has to flee Israel. And then later, he hears God out of a burning bush, and God remembers his promise. Sorry, that's chapter 3. Um, that the, the burning bush appears. Chapter 4, God shows Moses a series of miraculous signs to build his confidence. Moses is concerned about his own speech, so God instructs Moses to bring Aaron, his brother. Moses goes. He returns to Egypt to tell the elders what God instructed him to say and did the signs in the sight of the, of the, of the, of the Hebrews, of the Israelites, that people believed Moses and that the Lord had seen their affliction and bowed to worship And I think this is the first time in a long time that there's been any hope at all. So last week, the big message was that we were learning how to draw our identity from God's identity. This week, it's going to be a little bit more in a new revelation about God's identity. So having said that, we'll go to Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. So again, before I do that, though, Moses has gone back, and this is his first As instructed by God, this is his first uh, time with Pharaoh where he confronts Pharaoh and he gives him the charge that God had given him. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has sent us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, that he lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. So Pharaoh, first of all, Pharaoh is mean and he is weak, and he's scared. And if you look at the course of human history, that's a terrible combination of things. Remember a few weeks back, Pastor Brian said that Pharaoh, unfortunately, is maybe a glimpse of what sin, just left unchecked, run amok, would look like, manifested in someone with that much power. He's scared and he's weak and he's a mean man. He's brutal. So, though to Moses he may seem like this pillar of strength, get out of my sight, I'm not doing that, he proves his fear and his weakness in verses 6 through 9. The same day, he thinks about it a little while and he thinks, shoot, I'm scared. This is why I was killing the baby boys. I'm I'm worried about these slaves. The potential for them to be too powerful exists. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks they made in the past, you shall impose upon them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let the heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. In other words, break their spirit once and for all. They're not going anywhere. Pharaoh is two things. He's in the fog of his own arrogance. He doesn't know God. He doesn't want to. He's his own God. but he's also scared and he's also weak, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. Proverbs fourteen thirty one says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. He's clearly just showing contempt for God. This is a deeper thing that's happening here. Though the slavery and the oppression and the brutality is definitely present and it is very significant, he's also sticking his thumb in the eye of God by doing this. Jeremiah 22, 13, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. He's a nasty guy. So Moses, at this point in time, you gotta think, Moses is... Maybe his faith, his trust, his hope is waning a little bit. This has only gotten worse. Um, He went and he did what God told him to do, and things are worse, not better. So, again, the conditions are terrible. There's oppressive labor, zero compassion or compensation on the heels of genocide. This is just getting worse. It's not just the slavery. It is unspeakably terrible as that has been. It's on the heels of ethnic cleansing. This is horrible. And what little hope they had. It's just getting worse. Verse 15 through 18. Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Their overseers are like the foremen, but they still are slaves. They say, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. By the way, that would be a horrible job, making mud bricks with straw and mud in Egypt is a, is a rough climate. Brutal. He told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten by the fault of your own people. Pharaoh responds, verse 17, Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. What a slap in the face. That is why you keep saying, let us go to sacrifice to our Lord not get to work. You will not be given any straw. You must produce your full quota of bricks." He's a ruthless man. Chapters, or I'm sorry, verses 20 through 21. The Israelite foreman, after being slapped down and kicked out by Pharaoh, they see Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. It says the Israelite foreman confront Moses and Aaron, I'm sorry, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and to put a sword in their hand to kill us. What little hope, what little hope. <laughs> so remember God, or God appears to Moses. Moses goes to the children of Israel. He says, I talked to God. He's got a plan. He's going to deliver us. And for the first time in 400 years, like maybe... This is going to get better. And the first time in the, in, in the more recent years where things have been so horrible, there's hope. They've been killing our children, they've been beating us. It's Hebrew or it's Egyptian national policy to treat us this way. It's not isolated. This is their day in, day out. And what little hope they had when Moses came back on the scene is dashed. And you can just hear it. He comes out, he says, Moses, what have you done? What have you done? We had nothing left to give. You gave us something and it's just been stomped. Again, we already know even before Moses came on the scene in chapter 2 verse 22 it says the Israelites groaned in their slavery. And again, chapter 1 verse 10 Pharaoh says, let us deal with them shrewdly. So Foreman talked to Pharaoh, Pharaoh talked to Moses, now Moses, he's going to go and he's going to talk to God. And even within Moses, he's full of doubt, anger, he's emotional, he's mad, he's distraught. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he's brought trouble on these people. You have not rescued your people at all. It's pretty raw emotion. Remember Moses talked to God before in the burning bush and he wouldn't even look at it. He was so scared and trembling. And God says, take off your shoes. I mean, he's got so much reverence and awe for God. For him to talk to God this way, he's emotionally done. Just like the children of Israel. Not only that, it's the first time Moses has doubted himself a lot up until this point. Now, he doubts God. He doubts everything he heard. He's confused. He's mad. He's upset. He's angry. He's hurt sad, all of the above. you ever stepped out in faith and had something like that happen? It doesn't get better. It just gets worse. Are we under the understanding that when we follow God, that nothing but easy times come afterwards? Don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking that when we follow God, bad things will happen. But it doesn't change the fact that sometimes they do. Right. so God responds to him chapter 6 verse 1 says now you will see again God talking to Moses now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand he will let them go because of my mighty hand he will drive them out of his country see it seems like everything spiraled out of control the children of Israel are in doubt Pharaoh's in fear, only increasing his his ruthlessness. Moses doubts. He's mad. But God has everybody right where he wants them. Moses is right where he should be. Children of Israel, he sees right where they're at and he knows. Pharaoh and his Egyptian thugs, right where they should be. God's sovereignty, the grip of it, never loosened once. And the perspective that we have may tell us otherwise. But his heavenly perspective tells us that my sovereignty always remains intact over your life. Always. He's teaching that to Moses now. And again, Moses is upset. God's not even seemingly mad at him about it. That's what's so cool about him. Exodus 6, 2. He's going to go on. So this is the NIV and the ESV. Again, God's still talking to, to Moses. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. ESV and NIV, same exact translation. I skated over that because I was reading out of an ESV a while, a few months ago, and I kind of just skated over that thing, eh, I'm not sure what that means, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, stop, dig in mine right there, just for a little while. There's something more that you're missing. So I did. I don't often read the message translation, but I did just to, to get a different perspective. That says, we can go ahead and leave this up here, but just look for the differences. Message says, God continued speaking to Moses, reassuring him, I am God. God. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the strong God, but by my name, God, I am present. I was not known to them. Something a little deeper, a little heavier, a little, a little more significant is happening in this passage. King James Version. I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name God Almighty, but by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. <laughs> dig, 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 dig. New L, or uh, NLT. You can go ahead and bring that one up, I think, yeah. This really sums it up. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. Whoa. You with me? Something cool is going to happen. El Shaddai, the most common modern translation, means mighty or God Almighty, absolute power over all. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob knew God as the God who was was just awesome in power, accurately so, and could make any promise he wanted to. That's how they knew him. But he's saying to Moses, I'm introducing you to a different name, a different version of myself. So Jehovah, it could be Jehovah, it could be Adonai, or it could be Yahweh, God's personal name, and those are just different translations, those three, it means the unchanging, eternal, self-existing God, watch this, a God who keeps his promise. He appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, the God who's all-powerful to make promise and covenant. So I, <laughs> I was telling all this to my wife, Amy, a few weeks ago, um, and she said, if you don't kind of break this down and bridge it, you're just some guy up there going blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and if you know Amy, if you, want, if, you, if you want a source of truth on something, she will give it to you. And the Lord made her that way, and it's awesome. So this is a paradigm shift. He's taking the children of Israel and Moses into something new, a new version of himself, a new name. I'm not just the God that made the promise. I'm going to show you I'm the God that keeps the promise. I'm going to be the God in action, the God that executes it. I am Yahweh, a promise-keeping God, mighty in power, enthroned on high. But with that, I'm thinking about you and what I said I would do to your forefathers. 400 years ago, I said I'd bring you out under this horrible, oppressive yoke. And I'm going to do it. So, in addition, there's several different ways you could look at this. I'm, a, I'm alone in existence It's God. You could say that the Egyptians had more than one God, and that's probably rubbing off on the children of Israel. And he's saying, through this, you will realize I alone am God. But also, this is his personal name. If we took a time machine back... We're taking a time machine to avoid any modern politics that could cause anybody in the room to get upset. So we're going to take a time machine back to George Washington. And if we got to have a personal conversation with him, what if he said something to us like, everybody knew me, or most people know me, as either General Washington or President Washington. I'd like to introduce you to George. You're going to know me. This is my personal name. See this happening, this shift in connection? Powerful. <laughs> he's taking them into something new. And he's showing them that, again, my sovereignty hasn't lost its grip. But I love how Moses is upset. he I wouldn't say he barked at God, but he was pretty brutally honest with him about what he thought. Right? Pretty honest God speaks tenderly to him I don't when I read the text I don't see God saying woe to you Moses or Moses fall in line or you not he doesn't do any of that he speaks kindly to him I pulled out Hosea chapter 2 14 and 15 and I think there's a parallel here therefore this is God talking therefore I'm now going to allure her I will lead her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. She will respond, as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. He speaks tenderly to Moses. Let's go to Exodus 6, chapters 5 through 9. God continues speaking and is really... I feel like he's getting, he's getting down on Moses' level, right? I see you, I see right where you're at. It says, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant, my promise. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, I will free you from being slaves to them, And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. So, Moses hears this. He reports it back to the Israelites in verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So, God's pulling him back in. But what's this? The the, the takeaway here is something maybe multifaceted, but we're going to just, we're not quite closing yet, but we're going to go ahead and just pray for a minute and just let let the holy spirit just maybe reveal something that not even i can do here heavenly father we pray that you come come now into, into this room into your house your people are gathered you said you'd be your god uh, you'd be our god and we'd be your people we've come here and we invite you in and we pray that you come lord and let your spirit just flow like a breeze in here Soften the hearts and the minds of all of us and give us a takeaway that you want for us. Amen. I think there's so many things you could take away. This is a spaghetti bowl of connections and symbolism, but they can't even even hear what Moses is saying at this point. They're so broken. They're so hurt. They're so wounded, and God speaks tenderly. I, I can't relate, though I've known hurt, and I've known pain and known loss. I'm not going to pretend for one second that I can even re- begin to relate to what's happening here, to the depth of this pain, and just utter despair. They can't even lift their head anymore. Just absolutely given up same time, there's probably plenty of you out here that have been through things that I, I can't even imagine. I could never know the depth of your experiences, the depth of your possible pain, your highs and your lows. I don't know. But God does, and that's the point. I see you, he says to Moses. I see you, he says to Israel. And he's saying that to you today. I see you. My beautiful bride, I see you. It's a new covenant. He's making a new covenant, a new promise. This is, this is this marriage proposal between God and his people, and that's why he cares so deeply. It's his bride, and she's been in this relationship where she's known no love. She's known cruelty, abuse, and meanness. That's all she knows. Isaiah 54. Verse 5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife, deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. Isn't that wonderful? Again, there's many different ways you can go, but I just felt God just lay that right down. This is who these people are to me. It's who you are to him. Pretty cool. So, in light of that, he's a God worthy of trust, And that's the really big takeaway is knowing that you mean so much to him. You mean so much to him. You could never even know. I mean, so one day you will, but oh, you're his bride. You're adorned. You're lovely to him. He's so worthy of your trust. So. If you've been following the Lord for a while, you'll, you'll, you'll probably know where I'm going to go with this. The promise to us was that here as he's appearing to Moses, he's revealing his name in a deeper way. We know now we saw Emmanuel, God with us. Christ Jesus came down, he hung and he died to keep a promise. He's a promise keeping God. With his own blood, he spilled it so that we would know that he holds up his end of the deal. And it's a marriage covenant. So in that, you know, Abraham took up Isaac to sacrifice him back in Genesis. And he has the ax and he's ready to actually do this. He's that loyal or that, that obedient to God. And God says, no, I'll provide. And he stops him. And there was a ram in the bush and that's what, Isaac, or that's what Abraham sacrifices. But a son still did die. God sent his son, Jesus, but this time the ax didn't stop. He hung, he bled, and he died. It was his promise to you, his covenant with you, that I will redeem you. And he says to John in the Island of I don't know, Patmos, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm coming back. There's still a promise for us out there that hasn't even been fulfilled yet, but it will be. I'm coming back, and I'm going to make all things new. So I'll pray, the worship team, you guys can come out. Try not to trip on anything back there. It's easy to do. I'll pray, um, and we'll close. So maybe you're here and you don't know. You don't know Jesus. You don't know this story, but you don't know Jesus. We're going to solve that right now. So we'll go ahead, and everybody just bow your heads. Nobody's looking around. We'll go ahead, and we'll just pray, and just press press into the Lord here. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, who's never given their life to you and accepted your gift of salvation, meaning that you will forgive their sins if they will put their faith, their hope, and their trust in you, I pray that they'll do that today. And as you promised, you'll be their God and they will be your people. Father, there's someone here who's backslidden and they've they've walked away from you. I pray today is the day that they come back. So if you're that person, just, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I want forgiveness of my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry. Help me to turn and live for you. I want to give my life to you, Jesus, and follow you because you're a wonderful and a promise-keeping God. So every head, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you prayed that prayer, I'm the only one looking around. Just raise that hand. Just put that hand up in the air right now if you prayed that prayer. Jesus. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Outstanding. Heavenly Father, hear it. It's a new day, a new covenant. We're washed in the blood of Jesus, and there's no sin that any one of us here, or anybody else on earth for that matter, besides rejecting you, there's no sin that can outweigh the power of your blood. Nothing we could produce is more powerful than the forgiving grace of your blood, Jesus. It would be prideful to think that I could create something so bad that you couldn't forgive and redeem. You are an awesome God. You are a promise-keeping God, a wonderful Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you that you set us free from slavery. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.